All right, well, how are we doing? You guys ready to jump into the Word of God together? You can open your Bibles. All right, I was slightly concerned. Uh, you can open your Bibles uh, to um, Daniel chapter 9. That would be awesome. And then also you can bookmark uh, Matthew chapter, or sorry, Luke chapter 5. And we're going to read a couple verses out of those two chapters together tonight. Uh, I'm going to continue this uh, series, To Walk Amongst the Gods, talking about cultural engagement, uh, looking at the life of Daniel as inspiration for how he engaged with a, um, an idolatrous Babylon seeking to influence Babylon uh, with the message of the kingdom and uh, with, with the God of Israel in his current uh, time. And uh, as a really to glean inspiration for what we're doing as modern day Christians in a postmodern, post Christian America. And uh, there's a lot of similarities. So I've gotten a lot of feedback, and I think that we are striking on some sort of accord and in, in getting language for what God is speaking in this current dispensation of His grace within this nation. And uh, particularly last night, I talked, or sorry, last week, I spoke on. Uh, the motivation behind our work, and that one work is to be worship, and then also from more of a larger 10,000-foot um, perspective, work is to be motivated by a multi-generational uh, legacy, right? A vision um, that expands past just my own life, but it's part of this uh, grand story that God is writing across generations, right? Who was here last week? So I'm going to continue uh, tonight on that topic, and, and I felt impressed to uh, dig in a little deeper on uh, the multi-generational nature of God's story on earth, because I think it's really important that we come into alignment with that story, uh, because um, it's, it's his story, and that's the story that I want my life to be a part of, and I think there are influences that want to come, well, first of all, I mean, hell hates family, and family is multi-generational. And, and I, seeds of insecurity and comparison and feel, threaten and all these things, I believe, try to get sown to sever generations from one another when, um, because uh, the chapter of a book, it really doesn't make as much sense when it's just a lone chapter, right? It needs to be in the context of the whole narrative. In God's book, it's it, chapter after chapter. It's generation after generation. And so uh, we, we want to be connected as a, a multi-generational family. And I believe, I, 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 just, I just feel prompted by the Lord to speak into some things and, and look really even to the life of Daniel uh, to glean inspiration um, for this multi-generational story that God is writing that I believe River House gets to be a part of. So uh, I'm going to pray and then uh, we'll jump into the Word of God. So Father, I thank you uh, for the multi-generational family that you are birthing here at River House. I thank you that from its very genesis, this has been uh, about uh, uh, this has been multi-generational. There has been a desire and uh, a yearning, God, to be a part of your story. And I thank you that you're fulfilling that. I thank you that there's four generations here tonight worshiping your name in, in, in unity uh, under the in, in honoring the name of Jesus. And I just ask, God, that you will speak words of heaven tonight that will bind us even closer together and bring us into even greater alignment with one another and ultimately with your purposes that are spanning across generations. 
mission. So I thank you, God. We honor you, and we ask that you will speak and bind us in love tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there's a, a pattern throughout uh, Israel. If you were to read the Old Testament, you would be hard-pressed not to um, discover this pattern. But it was essentially that as Israel, uh, Israel would fall into some sort of sin, idolatry, and they would enter into an exilic period. Uh, Israel would be in exile. And within that exile, God would always raise up a deliverer, um, a prophet, some type of a, an anointed uh, messenger that would then bring deliverance from the exile and then usher them back into uh, the promised land. Does that make sense? Uh, so Moses was the kind of the prototypical deliverer, right? They're in exile in Egypt. He gets raised up. He delivers them out of bondage and, and ultimately, uh, you know, bestows upon Joshua, leads them into the promised land. But uh, Moses had this role as a prophet deliverer. And this was such a prominent uh, theme within Israel that uh, a lot of people believe that the, there was this messianic fever. Uh, I've heard it described as when Jesus came onto the scene because Every time uh, Israel was in exile, God would raise up some sort of a messianic type figure that was this, you know, deliverer. And so Rome had occupied in exile, right? So, and uh, they believed Israel was waiting. Where's the Messiah coming? Because we are in exile, right? So we see this with the kings, the judges, and even Jesus, ultimately with Jesus himself. So this is a, a powerful identity um, that was God... Uh, rose up within uh, the story of Israel. And I want to speak into Daniel tonight um, as uh, he found himself playing this role. All right, so Daniel was a prophet that God raised up in, Ab in Babylon. I was going to say Abilene or something like that. <laughs> Who knew that Texas was there too, right? Uh, God raises up Daniel in Babylon, and he fulfills and plays this role of a prophet to bring deliverance um, from Israel. To get His life's work was to bring them out of exile and back into the promised land. And uh, I specifically uh, want to key in on how Daniel came into this understanding because the scripture actually shows us, and this just fascinates me, I'd never really seen it in this light until um, this week in my study. And so if you're in the book of Daniel in chapter 9 is where I asked us to be, um, I, I want to read a few verses that I believe give insight to the, the, the source of Daniel's revelation and understanding of who he was as this prophet being raised up to be a deliverer um, in Israel. And it says this, we'll start in chapter 9 in verse 2. And uh, it says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely... 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And it goes on to describe in the rest of the chapter that Daniel begins, he's praying night and day, he's fasting, contending for God to be faithful to his promise to bring deliverance to Israel out of their exile and back into the promised land. And this is you know, part of where we get the Daniel fast from. I know many people have used that. Uh, we see later in chapter 9 that 
the angel Gabriel actually comes to Daniel in, his, in the midst of his intercession and says, on the first day when you started praying, I was sent. I've been warring with the prince of Persia. So it's speaking to some type of spiritual conflict that is incited at Daniel's prayer. And we don't really know how, but we do know this, and this is a historical fact, that eventually Cyrus, king of Persia, came into rule in Babylon and he has this revelation of a grand idea that he should send Israel back to the promised land and actually give them the money to pay for the temple too. Isn't that crazy? Right? Have you ever heard of any other king that did that? Daniel's intercession, pretty unprecedented. And you can very much make the link uh, that Daniel's intercession paved the way for a transformation that takes place to ultimately getting Israel back to the promised land. Right? But the words that spurns this revelation, spurns this calling, brings this, this um, identity uh, to Daniel, he says, it's when I was reading the word of Jeremiah the prophet. So if you can turn like 30, 40 pages to the left, if you want, and I'm just going to read the words that Daniel read. Uh, this, is, this was what he drank of that brought the understanding of his identity in the context of Israel's narrative, right? So he read these words that I think many of us have read as well, and it's uh, chapter 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon... I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Isn't that beautiful? That Daniel reads the words of a man two generations before him, so a grandfather type figure, reads the words, reads the, the, the legacy if you will, that Jeremiah passes on and he finds his own purpose and his calling. And what does he become? Daniel's a man of prayer. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Like, I believe these words shaped Daniel's understanding of who he was in a profound sense because he, he received from the legacy that Jeremiah passed on. So I want us to just key in here a little bit on Jeremiah uh, he was an obscure and persecuted prophet. He was not popular. His words were actually very contrary to what everybody else was saying in his day. We don't, you know, he, he, he just served faithfully and did what he was called to do. Uh, at one point was thrown into a cistern. He was a man, uh, he was known as the weeping prophet. It was motivation. Like talked about this last week. No one listened to him. But his life work, right? His motivation. Like talked about this last week. Day after day. Faithful. He was faithful 
to speak the words. He said, it's like fire in my bones. If I don't speak them, I'm under conviction, is what he was saying. And I will speak them nonetheless. And he spoke and spoke and spoke. And probably the most, you know, beautiful words he penned at the end of all these judgments and hard words was, I'm gonna bring you back from exile. And this is the heart of the Lord. And he passes on a legacy that it's amazing. We we talk about this is a real multi-generational legacy that a man named Jeremiah passed on, right? It, and it did not just impact Daniel, but how many in here, just by raising hands, has this verse deeply ministered to you in your own life? <laughs> That's a man that died in obscurity. Multi-generational legacy. We are living for the next generation, and it's the faithfulness. I, day after day, I'm disciplined. I'm doing what I'm called to do. Right? Look what you can create. And Jeremiah did this, and uh, and, and his words, his legacy literally became the foundation upon which Daniel understood his own calling. And Daniel built upon the foundation that Jeremiah laid. Right? And then I want you to key on here to the pattern. Daniel gave his life. You know, 70 years have passed in Babylon. He came as a young man. He's now an old man in, these, in Daniel 9. He's been there 70 years uh, or something close to that. And he, his life work was serving these Babylonian kings but and in, 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 in laying down his life, interceding, being a man of prayer, seeking the Lord with all his heart. And his life work became a foundation upon which, right, then like uh, Ezra gets sent back into the land and then Nehemiah. And they build on the foundation of what Daniel laid, gave his life for. Right? And they go and they build the temple and then they establish the city walls and found Jerusalem once again. Right? And then their, their life becomes a foundation for the next. Right? It's generation after generation after generation. Right? There's no severing. It's not like, oh yeah, Daniel was the great prophet. Jeremiah, like, he, you know, they, they, they're, they, they're inseparable because it's one beautiful story that God is writing. And I believe the principle is this, that the emerging generation finds its identity in the context of the ones that have gone before. Right? So the emerging generation needs the voice of Jeremiah to know that they're Daniel. Right? Because without Jeremiah, Daniel doesn't know what he's called to do because he's just in Babylon. What am I supposed to do in Babylon, right? It's this story. So generations need to be linked together in a very powerful way because that's how we actually come into an understanding of the purpose that God has placed upon us in any uh, different uh, season we find ourselves in. Uh, I'm sure many of us, most of us are familiar with the work of Charles Darwin. Uh, He wrote uh, The Evolution of the Species and, uh, you know, Survival of the Fittest. We familiar? Yes. Yeah, kind of controversial, right? <laughs> okay. I'm like pulling something up right now. I shouldn't open a can of worms. But uh, a while back, Rick Irish, my mentor, he's here. Uh, we did a multi-generational panel, I think, last year sometime. And, uh, he, and he, he brought this up one day when we were meeting, and I thought it was profound. And he's talking about Darwin's effect on our spirituality. And he said, many people will vehemently oppose the idea of evolution of the species, and yet it actually is pervasive within our thinking, uh, culturally speaking, and so we don't realize that its influence is within the church. And as I was pondering this, I, I, I found it was very profound, and it was this very subtle influence that I never necessarily recognized, actually, but 
is very much there. And so uh, culture, right, we, we evolutions actually, we, we take it for granted how true it really is within like the technological realm of life. So, you know, who's waited, you know, like you needed a new iPhone in May, but you've waited till September because you knew the new one was coming out then. Anybody? <laughs> Why? Because the new thing makes the old thing obsolete, right? That's evolution. Survival of the fittest, the new thing by definition makes the old thing obsolete. It's better. New is better, right? So the new model of the car is better. The new upgrade is better. The new computer is better. Better, better, better. So we, we, we've had this ingrained, and it's all the time. I mean, you plug your phone in at night, and you get an update, right? Because you need the update, and if you don't get the update, what you have is obsolete, Right? So this is a fact of life within the technological realm that I think is uh, kind of inching its way into how we think about things. And I've seen it in the church where we have this mindset around spirituality where we, we oftentimes, and I don't think this is bad, but it's like God's doing a new thing. But we actually are saying that and we believe somehow in our beliefs, we believe that by saying God's doing a new thing, that means the new thing's better than the old thing. And it makes the old thing obsolete, right? So this, this Darwin's, this evolution, it's, it's actually confrontive to a multi-generational story because what that will ultimately lead us to is we start idolizing youth. And I, I want to be young. Like, I want to look young and do not call me old. You might as well just cuss at me. That's, that is the influence of this evolutional, evolutionary mindset. Right? Old becomes bad, youth becomes good. So we want to be young. I want to stay young. I want to look young. I want to think young. I want to be young because new is better. Right? And we see here very clearly that Daniel's not better than Jeremiah. Right? And Daniel needs Jeremiah, and Jeremiah actually needed Daniel because God has linked us so powerfully and vitally together. Right? So if you have Luke 5, I want to just read a verse that often is almost used to reinforce this mindset that the new thing is better than the old thing. And I want to look at this because I don't believe it's what Jesus was actually trying to do in speaking about wineskins. Right, so uh, Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 37 and 38 and 39 is what we're going to read. So here's Luke 5, 37. Jesus speaking here. He's speaking in the context of the puts new wine into old wineskin, and they're persecuting him, and he says this. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled out, and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new, for he says, the old is better. All right, some of your translations might say the old is good enough, and your enough is probably italicized because they actually just added that word. That's not actually in there, and if you look at the little translations, it says the old is better. And this is important because I don't believe Jesus, we use this sometimes to say like, look, it's not about the old wineskin, it's about the new wineskin. It's about the new thing that God is doing, right? And Jesus is affirming new wineskins, but this last sentence, he's also affirming old wine, Right, so do we have any wine drinkers in the room? It's not sin. You can raise your hand. I don't drink wine, but you can, it's fine if you do. Uh, I've heard that uh, new wine doesn't taste very good. Is that true? Is anybody buying in line to go buy, like, new wine? Six-month-old wine? 
right? Two-year-old wine. No, like, what do you pay good money for? Old vintage wine is what you will pay. I've heard tens of thousands of dollars sometimes for fine wine that actually gets better over time. Right? And so Jesus, it's, it's, he's actually trying to link generations here, but he's bringing correction to both. So he's saying, the new, you have the right form. You have the new form that will actually hold the dispensation of grace that God is currently pouring out. But he's saying, your wine is actually not very good. It doesn't taste very good. Right? So he's saying, and then the old, you have the old wineskin that has no more capacity because it will burst. It's already stretched its full measure. It has no more capacity for the new thing that God's doing, but you have the good wine. So he's saying to the old, you have the wine, and to the new, you have the form. So you actually both need each other. So a lot of times I hear this taught on, and it's almost in this way that the new thing's making the old thing obsolete. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is actually honoring and correcting both. Because often what happens is the new thing, the new form, it's usually younger people that are passionate, and they often don't know what they're talking about either. <laughs> you know, I get an Amen. Right, and it's not that it's not that they're uh, they're clueless. It's simply that they don't have the experience to see the whole perspective on things, right? And that is that's that's what you glean in wisdom. But wisdom you you accumulate over time, right? And so the old they may they they have the they have the wisdom, they have the perspective, they have the fine wine. Right? And, and the, the young need the fine wine and the old need to dispense it into the new form. And there's, there's, a, there's a working together that is necessitated by these words. God is wanting to link generations. And this implies, you know, I, I said this last service, but, you know, my, my mentor Rick, he's like, I think he's 76. And I really thank God that he's old. Like, I'm seriously, I'm really, really thankful that he is an older man. Because that is so valuable to me. I treasure his experience. I treasure the wealth of perspective that he can pass to me. I don't sit across the table from Rick and go, gosh, I wish you were 30 and I'd get so much more from you. I don't ever think that. Why I invest time, why we do, is because of his age, right? And so I feel like, like God is the internally present, right? He simply is who he is, when he, like, he is God, right? And he's, he's actually really old. <laughs> you ever think about that? He's really old. And he's not insecure about that, right? But we've almost made it to where, like, old is a swear word. Young is, like, a compliment. And I think it's, like, those are actually just statements of your position in life, they're not, they're not statements on your usefulness, your effectiveness for the kingdom, your significance in God's eyes. They're simply qualifications of your age, and they, and they do in some way shape what your purpose is. Not how much purpose you have, but what your purpose is. And I think we've got to take these words back and start really being like, yeah, I am 55, and I'm thankful and I'm proud of it, and I am 25, and I'm thankful, and I'm proud of it, and I am whatever age, and I praise God for that, because I am is with me here, you know, like, so I, 
in this vein of thinking, um, this is a little bit of an interesting night for me. It's a little vulnerable, but I wanted the Lord, I felt he wanted me to speak specifically into Riverhouse and, and, and say um, first these things, is that we are not a millennial movement. I've been correcting people whenever I hear that. This is not a millennial movement. This is a healthy family. And to say you're a healthy family and a millennial movement is actually contradictory statements. That doesn't make sense. Um, you know, you can't understand me and what I'm doing without understanding my mother and her life. You, you, can't, you can't understand what, what the message that I'm propagating, what I'm speaking, and what I'm communicating without taking a real thorough look at my mother. Her life's work became a foundation upon which I'm building in a very, very real sense. Right? You, you can't look at Riverhouse and only look at the last two years to understand what's happening. You actually have to rewind about 40 plus years to, my, to God moving sovereignly on a 13-year-old's life to, to, to understand when God started this, this movement called Riverhouse, this family that he created. And, and I believe that's true for many of your lives as well because I hear it all the time. We've been on a seven-year journey that's led us here. We've been on a 15-year journey that's led us here, right? God didn't start this. Maybe it just started budding two years ago, but God has been doing this across generations. I feel like that's a prototype for this. You can't understand me without my mother. And I feel like that's a prototype for this whole thing is we've got to start looking that it, this is a multi-generational story in that foundations have been laid, right? People have given their lives to create space upon which this is now emerging, the structure of, of Riverhouse, right? And I felt specifically that God wanted me to honor tonight those of you that are Gen X and baby boomers, so basically anybody over the age of 36 or something like that, 37. Yeah, that's something to be proud of, right? But um, you are not token old people at a millennial church. I, I mean that. You are, you are not. You are a vital part of a multi-generational movement, and you are carrying fine wine that for many of you has been fermented across generations, right? Decades you've been carrying this, and you're, 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 you have such value. That, like, this would not be what it is without you. So I just honor you and I thank you for how you are serving in many ways the millennial generation here by your presence, by your wisdom, by serving. It has been a beautiful thing to see. It, it just, it, it's, it's amazing that you would, you know, as a 27-year-old pastor, it's like sometimes it's vulnerable when there's people that have so many more years walking the Lord than me, but you still are honoring and serving this movement. It, it is so vital what you're doing. It is so significant. And, and, and perhaps the most amazing thing that, that I see is that the way you, what you are modeling and how you are serving the new wineskin, because I believe God is birthing a new wineskin here. This, we're, we're part of what he's doing in the earth creating a new wineskin 
in this young, I believe the millennial generation has a new wineskin that God's moving through. But how you are laying down to see this birth, it is modeling for the millennial generation what they will be doing in 10 to 15 years when those across the hall are the ones that the new thing's coming from, that we will intuitively know what to do because you're modeling it. We will begin to defer and recognize that I don't know necessarily what the new thing is. I've got fine wine though and I'm going to give it to you so that you can start to go because we're all just a chapter in this multi-generational story that God is writing, right? God plays no favorites with generations. He is simply writing a story across generations, not a glory to the father of them all. We are not a millennial church, a millennial movement. We are a a healthy family that God is creating in the earth. And I believe it's special what he's doing here. And, you know, I I just, we we had this little camping trip uh, last week and it was beautiful. There was, uh, there were, there were fathers and then there were young men and then there were some of the father's sons, Brian Bird and Mike Briggs had their boys there. And I just felt the joy of Jesus, like I could just sense the father was so happy that, that, it, that the father's leading the young men who were speaking in to the, to, the young, to the boys. And it was like, this is what God's like after. And I, I, I think more of that needs to happen and is, is, is happening. I'm hearing of, you know, mentoring relationships and different things. And I, there, there's places where it's, it's budding. And I just, I, I think more of that needs to take place because it's so, so vital to the heart of God. Uh, in Israel, there was uh, this beautiful system when it came to the priesthood where when um, you're born into a priestly family, you're going to become a priest. Uh, from the age of zero to 30, your primary purpose was to prepare uh, for what you had in store for your calling. And then from the ages of 30 to 50, uh, your primary purpose was to produce. And then when you turned 50 uh, and on, your primary focus became to pass on and to actually undergird the priest that were in the thing. So the whole, the whole priesthood was designed as this multi-generational um, movement, if, if, if that makes sense. And, you know, I was, uh, I was at a, uh, a conference, a business conference a number of years ago. It was like a business and church conference. And uh, the CEO of General Electric was talking about the leadership succession um, kind of um, protocol or program that they have within General Electric. And General Electric has had a very um, decorated, long line of very, very... um, uh, fruitful leaders and CEO after CEO after CEO has been amazing leaders and so people kind of started studying and wondering what are you doing to constantly have this generation after generation of powerful leadership and uh, the CEO is saying that his first job when he became CEO was to select the group of individuals that would then from his first day as a producer, you know, in his role as this king of this powerful organization was to just to have this group that would then be um, slowly whittled down over the tenure of his leadership until one was selected 
And then when he would pass, that, that one would become the next CEO. It was his first job uh, when he stepped in to his, you know, calling. And I was like, man, that is so kingdom. You know, and in some ways I'm like, why is a business modeling multi-generational legacy better than the church? I just, that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I think um, the church should be the cutting edge of this mindset. And I love that, 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 that being the first job of the incoming CEO, it just it establishes um, this, this, this precedence and this priority um, and, and really an awareness of where you are in a, in a, in a huge story. Right? They knew, yes, I'm going to serve General Electric the next 10, 10 20 years, but it's, it's, my role is bigger than just the next 10 to 20 years. That is actually understood in the context of what's gone before and for what we'll be going after. You know, and I wish that we would take that same mold as Christians just as serious where I'm here and I have these X amount of years and these years actually find their meaning in the context of all of this and then I have to prepare who's coming after so that they can go there, you know? So there's this real intentionality uh, to the actions and I think that intentionality that's the word I, I really feel we need to bring to if we're to be a multi-generational movement we will not drift into it it is intentionally cultivated through intentional acts and it can be like a text message or a conversation in the lobby or you know and so many people I think on either side uh, on the old on the young uh, are like I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm longing for someone to pour into my life, and I'm longing to pour into someone's life, but it's like we're still just kind of always waiting in the longing, and it's insecurity often that will keep us. Like, oh no, they don't, they don't have anything they would want from me. They would never want to meet with me. It's like, well, I don't know who's telling you that, but it's not Jesus. Right. And like, oh, I don't know. I don't know that they they're, they're busy. That person's so busy doing all those things. They would never want to meet with me. So I'm not I'm, I won't even ask, you know, if if it's supposed to happen, it will happen. <laughs> That's a farce. If it's supposed to happen, go make it happen. <laughs> you know, it's like you just kind of send a text message. Don't spiritualize it so much. Um, you know, so I think we need to come into understanding of where we are. You know, don't get hung up on, you know, 0 to 30, 30 to 50, 50 to 7. You know, it's the principle of that. But I believe, you know, it, just speaking right now to the millennials, to the young, uh, if Daniel needed Jeremiah, so do you. Now, I can't tell you how much I have gleaned in my times meeting with Rick. It is a joy. It has shaped me. It has molded my understanding of pastoral ministry. There, it, it's brought affirmation to things that I was insecure and vulnerable about. He's, you know, he, he you know, there's, there's validation and things and good things I'm pursuing, correction. Like, there's been so much that I glean because of his position, because he is in this role of a sage and he's fulfilling that well. I am better because of it. I am understanding. I have a, a more whole and grounded understanding of who I am and what I'm doing because of his influence in my life. You know, I, I've found myself in, in the story um, that, you know, and, and, and really seeing things that I would have never seen because oh, I saw that, you know, in the 60s, and I saw that in the 70s. Like, oh, wow, I thought that was new, you know. Um, 
You know, to the kings and queens, to those that you are in your years of producing, uh, find your successor. Find them. That, that should be your first act when you step in to like, I'm, I'm in these years of productivity. I'm in these years in my calling. Who are you grooming even now? Like, who are the people that you're, that you're searching with the Lord? Who am I going to pass myself on to? Who am I going to share my story with? Who's going to carry on everything that I'm contending for? You will not drift into that. You've got to pursue it. You've got, that has to be a priority. Or you'll be so busy producing that all of a sudden, you know, you're like, oh, I'm 50, but there's nobody, so I might as well just keep producing for another 20 years. Then I'm 70, and then there's really nobody to hand it on to. You know, I heard, I think Danny Silk was talking one time. He's like, you know, the pioneering generation, usually it's like, we're just going to press on in, and we're going to blaze a trail, and we're going to work and work and work. And he's like, and then one day, they get really tired. They're like 90. They lay on their bed, and with their last act, they get the keys to it all, give it to their son who's like 70, and say, don't screw it up. <laughs> And by that time, the 70-year-old's so tired, he started doing things 40 years ago, you know, because he knew dad's never given me the keys, right? And, and that's, that, you know, that's obviously an overdramatization, but I think it happens sometimes simply because in the years of producing, we're not, we don't have the foresight to actually recognize that our first goal should be figuring out who are we passing it on to. Right? We're not going to drift into multi-generational legacy. We've got to go pursue it, make it happen. And to the, to the sages in the room, no matter how obscure you may feel, you are not. That is a lie from the pit of hell, and you have a story that needs to be told, and you have wisdom to, best, to, to, to bestow. And I just take this promise that the latter days will be more fruitful than the former, and Jeremiah Jeremiah, in his own eyes, was probably very insignificant and small, and yet his words are still impacting generation after generation after generation. He was a man who was faithful, and so just be faithful and, 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 and pour in. Uh, find where am I going to pass this on to? Who am I to undergird through prayer, through, through whatever way? You know, Rick, um, he's an amazing man. He's a gift to me, but he's told me this, and it's it's. It's humbling to me, but he said, you know, I've continued through your life, decades. He's like, and I'm getting to see them fulfilled through your life. And I'm just like, man, who am I that I, that I get, to, get to glean from the treasures that you've cultivated through a life of loving Jesus? Who am I? It's one of the greatest gifts. I'm so humbled to get to be in the presence of that man. And he'll probably be listening to this podcast. So, Rick, I love you. <laughs> we all have a very vital role to play, and we need to play it well with all our hearts if we're to see God do what he's wanting to do. And there's such purpose and there's significance. And I'm not trying to put anybody in a box, so don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm simply trying to speak that, yes, purpose can change because of age, but that is not purposeful, it's not purposelessness, 
right? It's not a lack of purpose. It's a shifting. And I believe that if we do this well, we're, we're creating a mindset and a culture here that will learn to value the, the wine, which is the presence of God, right? His, his very essence flowing, his grace flowing through people. And we'll train, you know, as we, as we successfully pass the baton from generation to generation, you know, because my, my you know, maybe 25, 30 years from River House is going to continue on past, you know, maybe 25, 30 years from now is if we can successfully raise up the next generation to love the wine and not the wineskin. You know, and, and that is only going to take place through generational legacy, through generational connection. Right, so we're we're not falling in love. Yeah, this is how God's moving in River House right now, but that's just how He's choosing to move right now. Right, it take it is a work of generational legacy to train people. Because think of this: if Daniel would have copied the wine skin of Jeremiah, he would have got his head chopped off. You know why? Because Jeremiah is going around telling everybody, you're sinning, you're doing immoral things, thus saith the Lord. He's like throwing stones. And he's, you know, I'm sure he was gracious, but sometimes it doesn't sound like it, right? So Daniel, Daniel could never have taken the wine skin upon him, but he drank the wine, right? And so Daniel was in new wine skin where he's actually honoring these idolatrous kings he was literally when nebuchadnezzar is going to fall he's like oh just humble yourself please i would never want this to come upon you this calamity because he loved him he's serving these idolatrous kings and he has a totally different ministry operation uh, paradigm but he knew how to drink the wine from jeremiah he knew how to receive of the grace and he found his calling within that right so there's just it, it takes work and it takes time and it takes relationship, and it takes stepping into things sometimes that might feel insecure. You know, I, I remember, I, you know, it's like, I, I, it always floors me, but, you know, where, you know, older people would meet with me, and then they would tell me later, like, yeah, I was really nervous meeting with you. I didn't know what I was going to say. And I was like, well, gosh, I was nervous meeting with you, so I didn't know what I was going to say. You know what I mean? And it's like, if we're all nervous, why don't we just, you know, break the ice and just get it over with? You know, it's like, okay, it's vulnerable. I get it. But we still got to do it anyway. Right? We got to take the risk to form relationships and watch God move through them. Simple little acts. Amen. Is that fair? So I just want to have a time. Um, uh, this is a holy time. Uh, so it's not, I don't, I don't think this is sad. But just an opportunity. I'm going to invite everybody to stand. But if there is repentance that you need to make for how you've partnered with mindsets or thoughts that have severed you from different generations. Oh, they don't need me. I don't, you know, whatever. Just anything that has bred comparison and ultimately any separation. Um, I just want to just give a moment here uh, just to quiet your heart before the Lord and just say, Father, is there any place uh, where I've partnered uh, with comparison or anything that would bring division between uh, people of a different age than me? And if things come to mind, just, just tell him you're sorry and ask for his forgiveness.
So tonight, God, I say no more to insecurity. No more comparison. No more from any influence, any thought, any lie that wants to sever 